Good morning, good morning, good morning. How is everyone doing? Welcome to Resurrection Church. Wonderful worship. Seems darker than usual. Maybe it's just me. Hello to everyone online, everyone here. It's good to see everyone. Are you guys ready for summertime? No. <laughs> Lord, please let it not be this week, right? <laughs> one more one more weekend and I'm enjoying the night times. I don't know, I like to sit outside at night and read and just kind of pray and meditate and and I'm I'm grateful for this time of year cuz in the summertime you can't even go outside at night. It's like it's still 100 and something degrees outside. Well, <clears throat> we are almost finished with the book of James. We've been going through James verse by verses. This is what we do here. We go through the Bible. And I'm convinced that until we exhaust every word of the Bible, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere else. We're going to be in the Bible somewhere. We've got two more, uh, two more sermons in James. We're at the very, very end. And today is going to be a little bit in James and a whole lot in something else. So uh, go to James chapter 5. And uh, um, I don't know about you. I've enjoyed this book. It's been a good, a good study. I've enjoyed it. Uh, Learning and and being encouraged by this wonderful man of God, James, of course, is uh, the half brother of Jesus, and he writes um, some very practical things. And pretty much most of his letter has been um, teaching about maturity, you know, and what it looks like to be uh, perfect and complete in the Lord. And the section in chapter five that we're finishing up is is a section he's talking about prayer. And we sort of, we've got into a big part of the section, but I stopped really at verse 16b. And James actually starts his letter off with prayer. He says, if any of you are going through trials, you know, ask God for wisdom, right? You need wisdom in trials. Who doesn't need wisdom? <laughs> and I need wisdom when I'm not going through trials. <laughs> I just, I kind of wish that some days I get up in the morning, God gives me a to-do list. Okay, Lord, I'm on it, you know, but... Um, but wisdom and trials, he starts off, and then later on he talks about, you know, have, you know, you have not because you ask not, you know, the purpose of prayer. But at the end here, he is finishing up strong with an emphasis on prayer, you know. And we talked about last week the relationship between prayer, confession, and healing, that kind of stuff. And I purposely stopped at verse 16 because I want to take some time with verse 17. So uh, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another, um, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The word uh, confession, of course, is the idea to, to agree with, to say the same thing as. When you're confessing something, you're bringing it to a light and you're saying, yeah, that's what it is, you know, and you're saying, you're agreeing with how God sees things, you know. Um, and so... Uh, confession is key to healing. And then he says, pray for another so you may be healed. The effective prayer, the word effective there is the energeo, it looks like energy. It works, prayer works. The, the working of prayer, the, work, the, work, uh, the effective working prayer of a righteous man can, it works, basically is how it says in the Greek, you know, it works. And so, um, and so he, he gives us some instruction with prayer. But then he says in verse 17, and this is where I want to go here, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. We're going to actually spend some time in the Old Testament to look at Elijah today because he brings up Elijah, and of course, you know, instantly coming through your mind is everything about Elijah. No, it's like, okay, what did Elijah do? What did he learn? We're going to see what kind of man Elijah was. He was a man with a nature like ours. That's going to be key because God is going to perform some miraculous things through Elijah. He's like one of the main prophets that does a wonderful things. But Elijah was human. Elijah will have times in life when he's depressed. Elijah's going to have times when he doubts. He's going to have times when he feels all alone, right? Uh, he's going to have times when he's fearful, you know, when he's, when he's in need, uh, when he's afraid. Okay, so James is saying, Elijah is just like us. <laughs> I'm with you, Elijah. But then it says, um, and this says, he prayed earnestly, or literally it's he prayed with prayer. It's pray and prayed together. He prayed with prayer 
that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. So I want you guys to go, can we do this? Yes, we can, because I got the podium here. Go to 1 Kings 17. We're going to look at Elijah's. I'm going to go through, I'm going to do something like really, really, I'm going to step on the gas pedal and go through two chapters of 1 Kings (laughs) and ask the question, what do we learn about Elijah that affects his prayer? All right? Because if James is bringing up Elijah, let's, let's see what we can learn about Elijah. So 1 Kings 17 is where we're going to spend, 17 and 18 is where we're going to spend, we're going to look at some lessons from Elijah's life, okay? You guys with me? All right. So I used to teach Old Testament uh, 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 at Bible college, and I love the Old Testament, so anytime I can get the Old Testament, I'm there. So, so let me give you a little context here. Israel is a divided nation, okay? Saul was the first king, David was the second king, Solomon was the third king. After Solomon died, remember Solomon built the temple, he had all kinds of projects, right? And people were really, really busy, you know? His son Rehoboam became king. And the people came to Solomon, uh, Rehoboam and says, hey, your dad really worked us. He raised the taxes and made us work really, really hard. Can you go a little easier? You know, could we have a little break, you know? And Rehoboam heard some wise people, some older seasoned veterans that says, hey, you know, this is a good idea. Give the people a break. Then he listened to his buddies who don't know anything about life. They said, no, don't let them off the hook. Work them even harder. And what happened is the people rebelled and they said, no, we not, we're not going to live it under this. So the 10 tribes of Israel, there's 12 tribes, the 10 northern tribes said, we're going to go off on our own. The kingdom split. And the 10 northern tribes became known as Israel, sometimes referred to as Samaria as well, but Israel, or Ephraim as well, but Israel. And there's two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin's like right in the middle of Judah. Became the other tribe, the other kingdom. So you have, uh, you have a split kingdom. So you have a king over this section, a king over this section, Okay. Every single king of the northern tribes were bad. Every single one. And one of the reasons is because these section is living outside of Jerusalem where the temple was, where you're supposed to offer sacrifices. Well, we don't want, the Rehoboam was afraid, or Jeroboam was a king up here. He was afraid that the people will leave and never come back. So he set up a, a false worship center at the bottom of Israel and the top of Israel. By the way, when we go to Israel, we're going to go to the northern one, and see what that looked like. Anyway, a uh, little, you know, advertisement for the trip. So we had false worship, and it says that every king did evil in the sight of the Lord. They're worshiping in the wrong place. They're doing it wrong, right? So that's what's going on here. So when you read First and Second Kings, you're reading about this divide nation. When you read the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, you, let's say Isaiah, who spans much, he actually speaks to both. And many times there's some prophets that are sent to the northern pro- and some prophets are sent to the bottom, to, the, to Judah, right? So that's going on. So in verse uh, 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, Now Ahab was a king of Israel and he's bad. Not just, not only is he just bad, he's also married to the, bad, to the wrong person. Now go up to um, a couple of verses before. Verse 30 of chapter 16. And Ahab the son of Omri did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, or the Lord, more than all who were before him. And now it happened as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, that's the first king of Israel that was divided Israel, uh, that he took Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, as wife, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now, real fast. Baal was a Canaanite god, and when people came into the, to, the, uh, to the promised land, the people that, that, that still lived there, they served Baal. And they believed that if you worship Baal, he would send the rain and the crops and you would have fruitfulness and things like that, you know? So the northern tribes, they followed that. They, they said, forget about God, Yahweh, we're going to follow this Baal dude and, and see what happens, right? So that's what's going on. So you got Ahab is bad. His wife, Jezebel, well, she's really bad, right? She's on the America's Wanted for... Evil, evil wives, you know. So back to chap- chapter 17. Slow. I feel like I'm rushing. I got to slow down. I'm getting old. Harry, I'm getting older, you know. And then when I'm getting old, I have to slow down. Anyway. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the sellers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely 
there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now stop real fast. James says that, that Elijah prayed there would be no rain at the beginning and no rain at the end. But the scripture doesn't record the prayer. At least on the front end, there's no recording of God do this, God do that, right? You'll see other examples of prayer in Elijah's story, but not here, okay? Now how does, how does Elijah know why is he so bold as to come before Ahab and says, there's going to be no rain except by my word? Until I say so, right? How, does he, how is he getting this boldness? First of all, he knows he stands before God. And that's the first principle. When you pray, you've got to know that you stand before Almighty God. And if you have this confidence that you know that, you, that, that you're with God, right? And God's with you then you can, you can stand with boldness. It's interesting that they observe the disciples speaking with boldness, and it says they had noticed that they had been with Jesus, right? In Acts chapter 4, actually, right? So part of prayer is praying with the boldness that you stand before Almighty God who is interested to hear what you have to say, right? Elijah is a man who prays boldly because he stands, he knows whom he stands, he knows who he represents, Now, how does he know that it's not going to rain? Now, I want to point something out. This is interesting. He knows his word. He knows his Bible. That's the second principle. You can pray confidently when you know the word of God. So that's so simple, John. Well, essentially, when you pray, I'll give you a clue. One clue is this. Pray the scriptures back to God. Read the Psalms and pray the Psalms back to God. When you're reading your Bible, pray it back to God. Prayer, I liken prayer to like learning a new language. How many of you guys are, can speak more than one language? Okay. Can I tell the joke? <laughs> Although, that's not a joke. That's my new Bible. What do you call a, a person who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do, you sp- uh, what do you call a person who speaks two languages? What do you call a person who speaks one? American. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he told that to me. <laughs> prayer is like, it's like learning a language, okay? Think about prayer as learning a language, right? You're speaking the language of God, right? You're speaking, and part of learning a new language is getting immersed, right? It's one thing to read a book and do an app, but it's another thing to actually live, right, and be around it all the time, Prayer is like that, and the more you can pick up on prayer language, you know, in the sense of speaking to God, and that means by reading his word. Look at, look at, uh, look at um, uh, Elijah. We know he knows the word of God. How do we know? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. <clears throat> Go back to your left from here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. And watch this. In verse 13, and God is actually in the chapter where he's talking about loving the Lord your God, right? And in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 13, he says this. He says, And it will be that if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I, the Lord, will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rains, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. And I will give grass to your fi- to, in your fields to your cattle, for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. He says, if you listen obediently to love the Lord your God, I'm going to give you rain. All right? Elijah knows that. But then he says this, Beware, verse 16, lest your hearts be deceived and turn away and serve other gods and worship them. And the anger of Yahweh or the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and on the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which Yahweh has given you. I think Elijah so knows the word of God that he can speak boldly that God will do what he says. He realizes that people have gone away from God, right? And he says... There will be no rain, because God's word will say that. You can also note Deuteronomy chapter eight, uh, 28, 
verses 15 and 23 and 24. It says uh, the, these are the curses. Anyway, so back to Elijah, 1 Kings 17. First of all, he is bold. Secondly, he knows the word of God. He knows who he serves. Now, I have to hurry up because I said I would do two chapters and I have to become like the guy from FedEx commercial that says those things really, really fast. So better slow down here. Better. Then the word of the Lord uh, came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. And it will be that you will drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to sustain you there. And so he went and did according to the word of Yahweh, for he went and lived by the brook Kareth, or, uh, Kareth uh, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens were bringing him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. Now it happened after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and remain there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to sustain you. It's interesting. He's being led by the Lord as he's hearing from God, and along the way it's now, here's a direction now, Here's another direction now. Sometimes we want prayer for God for us to lay out everything in store. But what God does through prayer is he leads you along the way. And what's interesting, he says, I'm going to provide for you through ravens and through a widow. Now, ravens were unclean animals. And this widow, we're going to find out, has nothing, right? But God is going to provide through the most unlikely resources and places. And in prayer, you find God's provision is not based on our provision of ourselves, it's based on who he is, right? God can, um, God's supply is not based on our supply. And so he is going to um, recognize this and follow obediently. Sometimes we say, Lord, the Lord gives us direction. We say, no, Lord, I want a different plan. I want a different route. And he says, no, no, it's going to be. So you have to be obedient. That's the principle. Obedient to whatever the Lord tells you in prayer, responding. And Elijah just responds faithfully to the Lord. Um, he knows who he serves. He knows the God he serves. He also recognizes that God is entirely in control. I guess that's another point, is that God is in control. I got like 20 points, so I'm just going to give it to you. Like, you know, it's not a normal, it's not how I normally do this, but I feel, I just feel like there's so many things to learn from Elijah. And, um, Anyway, so I thank you for your, your grace and your patience. God, uh, Elijah recognizes that God is in control. He understands that God will provide in ways that are unusual, in ways that are not um, predictable, but he relies on God. And I think that's the main point. When you're praying, there is this reliance on God. So he goes to Zarephath. Uh, where am I at here? Verse 10, so he arose and went to Jerophath, and he came to the gate of the city. Behold, a widow was gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I might drink. So she went to get it, and, called, and he called her and said, please get me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar and behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat and die. This is unusual, right? God says, I've commanded this widow to provide for you. He gets to the widow, and she's on her last cup of flour with a little bit of oil and some sticks to feed herself and her son. And then that's it. That's all they have. I got nothing. You're asking me for a piece of bread. I got barely enough to... This is our last meal, I mean, God's going to provide through that? See, prayer, see, as you go in prayer, it actually ought to deepen your faith, right? <laughs> it ought to lead you to dependency on the Lord more. Right? In fact, let me just point something out to you. Prayer doesn't prevent problems. I, I want to know what that prayer is that I can pray and instantly all my future problems are gone. I have to figure it out. 
I haven't figured that out. I, I want it to be where I can pray and have no problems, you know, but you know, that's not life, right? And prayer doesn't prevent problems. In, in those problems, in that time and the place of having to depend on the Lord, you see his provision in better, better ways. God provides through ravens and through some widow that has barely enough to feed you, Elijah, but he still provides. See, we look at the natural and we say, there's no way, there's no way that woman is going to provide for him. And God says, <laughs> I major on no ways, you know? Prayer doesn't prevent problems. I think of uh, just one more example. So <clears throat> Jesus is talking to, to Peter. He says, um, he says, Simon, Simon, look at, oh, oh, I'll read it. It's in Luke 23. Can I just read it? Yes, I can. Luke 23 and, uh, and verse 30, or 20, 22:31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you all, to sift you like wheat Simon Peter Satan has demanded to sift you guys like wheat to 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 sift you like wheat to take you and just mess with you right to test your faith but look what Jesus says but i have prayed earnestly for you look at what he doesn't say that you won't face this problem no, I have prayed earnestly for you that your faith may not fail. Peter, you're still going to be sifted. And this is referring to Peter being tempted to deny Jesus, right? Your faith is going to be tried and tested. I've prayed for you, not that you would not face the problem, but that your faith may not fail in the midst of problems. Sometimes that's where, you know, that's like, is your faith real? Well, there's going to be testing. There's false teachings out there that talk about, you know, your best life now and you'll never have problems. That's garbage. God, send, those, send that, whatever, I don't want to. Anyway. But how else, how else do you understand the provision of God unless you're going through the troubles, right? And Jesus says, I pray for you that your faith may not fail and you, once you have returned, after resurrection, go, get, go, go tell the disciples and Peter, right? Restore the brother. And, and Peter encourage what he said when you have returned strengthen your brothers your faith has been tested you're going to deny me when you come back that experience that's going to that's going to live long in your heart it's going to live long it's going to be used by you to encourage other because all of us go through testing of faith right so my point i back in 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 in, in, uh, first kings is that prayer doesn't prevent problems but god provides during those problems right he supplies. Go back to First Kings, okay? You never left First Kings, right? Did I, I only I left First Kings. I sorry. Where am I at here? Uh, Elijah said to her, "Do not fear." Verse thirteen. Do as you have said, but make me a little bread of cake first, and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says Yahweh, the the, the Lord, the God of Israel: the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that Yahweh sends rain on the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her, her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of Yahweh, which he spoke by the hand of Elijah. Now it happened, verse 17, after these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. The son became sick, and his sickness was so severe that he had no breath in him. And so she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to, you have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. And he said to her, Give me your son. Then he took him for her, uh, from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. And he called to Yahweh, to the Lord, and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am sojourning by causing her son to die? I love his honesty, right? It's like, God, this woman is, is, is taking me in, and now you're going to 
allow her son to die? And really? I love his, his, his transparency, right? His, his honesty. He's being real with God, right? I think that's, that's an encouragement to me to say, God, I mean, if you pray in these and those, that's fine. But sometimes, Lord, hey, what's up with that, right? God can handle that. I remember one time I had, I did, I'm not going to tell you the, the whole story, but I, uh, there was a prayer I prayed that was so bold, I felt like I was, but it was bold, and it was honest, and, and God answered it. It was like, I never prayed like that before. Like, I can't believe I'm talking like this, but it was real. It was still respectful of the Lord, but it was, I wasn't, it was the Lord, and the, the Lord answered that prayer. I love the fact that he speaks honestly, to the Lord. But look at also what he, it says, uh, verse 21. He's gonna, the way he prays, look at verse 21. Then he stretched out himself upon the child three times and called to Yahweh and said to uh, Yahweh, the Lord my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. He's asking God to raise him from the dead. That's a big prayer, isn't it? I think there's a principle there. Pray big prayers, all right? Oh, he's dead at this. Don't, don't bother the master, as they said in the New Testament. Don't bother the teacher. Don't bother Rabbi Jesus because it's too late now. There's nothing you can do. Oh, hold on. <laughs> it's okay to pray big prayers, right? And as far as I can recall, um, up to this point, no one's ever been raised from the dead. And now here's this man of God who's asking God, to do something huge that you and I would never think of? James says he's a man just like us. And he prayed. He prayed for the rain, but now we're talking about raising from the dead. I'll get to the question of why he's doing Why doesn't James talk about Elijah praying for the, you know, he's a man like us, and he prayed for somebody to raise from the dead. I'll, I'll get to that question in a second, because I know it's a question people are asking. Where was I at? I know I'm probably doing like three sermons in one, one sitting, you know, but I want to I wanna press through here. Okay, so pray big prayers. Pray big prayers. Then he stretched himself on the child three times, called the Lord. I pray, let this child's life return him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him and became alive. Then Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room of the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. Then the woman said, Elijah, now... I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I know now that you are a man of God and that the word of God is in your mouth is truth. I, from that verse, I get the sense that Elijah, that for once she sees that what Elijah says is truth from the Lord. You know, prayer ought to affect our speech, doesn't it? Right? Prayer ought to affect how we talk. Prayer, time with the Lord ought to affect how we, if we're hearing from God, we ought to, right? <clears throat> it, affects our, it affected Elijah's speech so that what he said was true. Now it happened, verse, chapter 18, now it happened after many days by the, that the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show, your, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So God's telling him ahead of time, I'm going to send rain. Okay? So Elijah goes with confidence and boldness, knowing that God has said this. So he goes, and shows up, he goes to Ahab, and the, 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 um, the famine's severe. Let's skip on down um, to um, 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 Verse 17, this is when he finally meets Ahab. Now it happened after, uh, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of Yahweh, and you have followed the Baals. So now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mark Carmel. By, by, if you go to Israel, we're going to Mark Carmel. Okay? We're going to go there to see this place together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, that's another false god, who eat at Jezebel's table. So 850 prophets he's going to uh, be challenged with. 
So Ahab sent a message to all the sons of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you be limping between two opinions? If the Lord Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him word. I have to say with regard to prayer that having a divided heart is ineffective. Make your prayers ineffective. The people were vacillating between following God, not following God, following God, following Baal. And James says a double-minded heart, right, uh, is unstable in all this way. Right, and so it's unstable. So in prayer, you approach God with confidence, but there has to be not this, this well, God, I want you, a little bit of you here, and I want a little bit myself here. You know, there's this vacillating between the two, and God says, I want your whole heart, Right? God says, I want your whole heart. Then Elijah said to the people, I am alone and left a prophet of Yahweh, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood and, and, put, and place no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and put it on the wood and I will play, not place fire under it, under it. Then you shall call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of Yahweh and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the all people said, hey, that's a good idea, good word. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God, but place no fire under it. So they're getting, there's like, you get an ox, I'll get an ox. You guys go first because there's a lot of y'all. Get, the t- get your altar ready, put wood, but don't put any fire. Now you guys go first, call on your God, all right? So they took that, and that says, verse 26, Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about the altar which they had made. Now it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. He is either occupied or relieving himself. I think that's funny. <laughs> or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's a sleeper and needs to be wakened. Hey, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's fell asleep, right? Shout louder. You get the scene, right? So they cried out with a loud voice, verse 28, and gashed themselves according to their custom with swords and lances with blood gushed out on them. You get all these, they're dancing around, they're cutting... Bell, hear us, you know, answer us, oh, you know, all this nonsense, right? It's crazy. Try a little harder. Maybe, you're not, maybe you're, your tones are wrong, you know? Now, it happened that when noon had passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening of sacrifice. This is all day long for a simple thing, right? Send, send fire. Because if you really are God... You'll send fire. But look at verse 29 says, but no, there was no voice. No one answered and no one paid attention. You know what principle I see here? God doesn't need a circus to hear your prayer. God doesn't need commotion and all kinds of things to get his attention to hear prayer. He hears a simple prayer. In fact, when Elijah comes, he says, when Elijah prays, let's look at this, verse 30. He says, can the people come, come near to me? And all the people came near to him, and he prepared the altar, which he had been pulled down. He took the 12 stones, according to the number of t- sons of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come, and said, Israel shall be your name. With the stones, he rebuilt the altar in the name of God, and put a trench around the altar, and large enough for two seahs of seed. And he arranged the wood, and cut the ox in pieces, and placed it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water, and he put it on the burnt offering. He says, do it a second time. They did it a second time, do it a third time. And the water overflowed. And they get the scene. He got his wood. Water, need more water, not enough water. Water's everywhere, right? So I have to say, I am not going to cheat or anything. This is going to be like, this better be God. Gideon, you have too many men, <laughs> you know? <laughs> too many of you. Verse 36, now happened at the time of the evening offering sacrifice that Elijah the prophets came near and said, 
Get, get the simplicity of, of Elijah's prayer. Oh God, oh Yahweh, or Lord, the Lord, oh God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your slave and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, oh, oh Yahweh, answer me that this people may know that you are, that you are God. Let me just stop right here. God answers simple prayers, right? He doesn't need all the commotion. He doesn't need all the, the circus, all the nonsense. He's not hard of hearing. You don't twist his arm, you know? He's a father who delights to hear from his children. Wait, my, my daughter's speaking. I, yes, I, full attention, right? When you pray, have that understanding that God is really, really interested in you. And you don't have to twist his arm. My kids, they need me for something? You bet. You're my child. I love you, right? But I also see a principle of prayer in his statement. Oh, oh God, answer me that this people may know that you, Lord, are God. I think essentially one of the principles and points of prayer is for God to be known, right? That God would be glorified, that God would be God, that our hearts would be entirely his. God will answer those kind of prayers. God, would you be glorified in this situation? Your will be done. You, Father, glorify your son as, you, as, I, as Jesus prays in John 17, and that I may glorify you, he says. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and burnt the burnt offering, consumed the burnt offering, the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And all the people saw and fell on their faces, and they confessed, He is God. See, prayer ought to lead that to that confession of truth, right? It ought to lead to our heart being changed. It ought to lead to, yes, God, you are God, and I'm going to glorify you, and I confess that God is Yahweh is God. It's interesting. It's after this point that God sends the rains. It's like God so wants to send the rain because I'm going to send rain, but it's not until after the people say, no, God is God. That's it. I got it. Now you're speaking and saying that now you're agreeing with what I said in my word. Now you're on the same page. Now that's a prayer I can answer, right? See, when you pray, it's often it's God changed. It's working on my heart. Eventually it's Lord work in my heart. So much of our prayers is all kinds of change this, change that person, change that person. I don't like what they're doing. You know, and all this stuff. And finally it's like, do you have love for that person? God says. I want to change your heart in this situation, right? Because God can instantly change anything, but he has to, he's working on your heart. Amen? I think it's significant, the people's confession, and also the fact that they removed the prophets and the, the things that were leading them astray. I mean, prayer ought to lead to not just to true confession, but also a true, a true change of heart, whereby life is different afterwards, right? That's the whole point here. Elijah sees the prophets, and they, they slaughter them, verse 40. And he tells Ahab in verse 41, go up, hey, this could be, the rain's coming, Right? Now, I know I'm going a little long today, okay? But that's okay. Hey, I've covered more verses in one sitting than we've gone in 10 weeks of James, so <laughs> it's okay. Now, Elijah said to Ahab, verse 41, Go up and eat and drink, for there is a the sound of a tumult of rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went to the top of Carmel, and he stretched himself down toward the ground and put his face between knees. Now he's praying. He's doing this. And James alludes to this. James says he prayed for it not to rain, and he prayed for it to rain. Now we're seeing him in that position of prayer. But watch this. He said to the young man, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked toward, and there was nothing. And he said, go back some time. So Elijah knows that God is going to answer his prayer. But, uh, but nothing's happening, Right? Nothing's happening. 
But Elijah is persistent to keep saying, go back, go back one more time, go back one more time, go back one more See, persistence in prayer is, is vital. Because if you believe that God will answer according to his word, he will, the timing may be delayed, right? I think the reason why James uses this example, okay, we covered praying for the widow's son to be raised, praying for the oil, praying for the, the prophets of Baal thing, you know. But the whole thing with the rain, I'm like, God, why did you have James choose that illustration? Here's what I think why. Most of our time when we pray, there isn't an instant answer that we see, right? We, sometimes there is, right? But most of the time there's a delay. So I think when Elijah says, there's, no gonna be, there's not going to be any rain, well, how do you know what's going to happen? How do you know that the prayer's answered? There's, rain, there's two rainy seasons in that part of, the, part of the world. They have to wait a while. There's a delay before you actually start seeing, oh yeah, actually it's not raining. It hasn't rained for a while. And at the end, there's also a delay. First time, second time, third time, seventh time, he comes back. Finally, the servant says, I see a little cloud. I'm, I haven't read it yet. He goes, I see... Um, I see um, a little cloud, verse 44. Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. I see, it's like this big. Ah, it's nothing, right? Just a, just a, a, that's it. Get ready, because that's going to, what are you talking about? It's this big, a man's hand, a little cloud, man. Elijah, see, that's the thing, is, is in your prayer time, you be persistent in prayer, you keep believing, you keep confessing, you keep, keep on, keep on. And the answer is often there's a delay, right? That's my whole point. I think James is talking about there's a delay between when you pray and when you see it. But James or Elijah says, go back, go back, go back. Oh, I see something. Now, most of us would discount and say, oh, that's just a glitch, you know? Elijah says, no, no that's the beginning of a huge storm, Right? How does he know? Because he has so been engrossed in the word of God and his presence with, in his time with the presence of God that he understands, he begins to see it. But he also understands that prayer, oftentimes, in most of our prayers, there's a delay. Some of us have been praying for something for so long and now God's beginning to show you something and you're seeing little glimmers here, little glimmers there. And you, yeah, have hope because God is answering your prayers, right? There's been delay for a purpose that God has. Praise God for that, right? Because God still answers the prayer. Most of our life is going to be those kind of praying. Whereas there's a delay between the prayer and what you see. Between the prayer and what you see. God has already done it in the spiritual realm, but for it to take place in the natural realm, it may take some time. You keep praying, keep believing God, right? Keep trusting God. Amen? I said I had 20 points to pray. Or to say, one more thing is the idea of patience in prayer. Part of prayer, part of our purpose in prayer is is to God forgot to teach us not just patience but His timing and everything. You know, it's it's it may be His will for Him to to do something. But it has to be his time, right? The, the intersection of God's will and God's time is significant. You know, you're praying the right prayers. But God's working on the time of, of bringing it to pass. Amen? Amen. Now, how am I going to transition from prayer to the cross? <laughs> That's easy, right? <laughs> That's easy. Because ultimately, ultimately, we ought to become, have more uh, understanding of who God is, and we have that through Jesus Christ, who has prayed for us, who does pray for us. The scripture says he intercedes with, uh, for us with, uh, at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit intercedes with us, for us, with growings to, to deep words. Um, Our approach to God is only available because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, on the first Sunday of each month, we do celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, and um, so.
Jesus was faithful to perform everything that God told him to do with going to the cross. Um, God answers our prayers and He's a good God. He's faithful. And we know that what He says is true because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, Jesus poured out His life, His, his blood on the cross. And he hears our prayers. We're going to have uh, the Lord's Supper, and just just uh, if we can just have a few minutes of of confession of sin and meditation and reflection. Um, he's a God who hears our prayers. He hears our cries. And uh, so let's take a few minutes as the elements are being passed out to um, to give praise and thanks to the Lord in confession. Um, the bread is on the on the bottom cup. there's one person whose prayer was effective that's the Lord Jesus Christ and if he says to Simon to Peter I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail he also says to us I have prayed for you and I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail Lord Jesus thank you so much for the love the demonstration of the love of God the love of the Father the goodness, the faithfulness that you that you are, the the love that you you poured out your blood on the cross for us. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who does answer prayers, and you're a God who is interested in what we have to say. Lord, I pray that you would uh, forgive us of our sins, that you would. Cleanse our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help help us to realize how firm and how strong you are, Lord, and how good you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you poured out yourself into death. Gospel of Matthew says, Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body. Lord, thank you for your body that was broken on the cross, your body that was beaten. The scripture says you were, were not even recognized as a man. You took our place, Lord. We are forever grateful, Lord. Let's, let's partake together in Jesus' name.
And when he had, given a, uh, had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, it's your blood that washes away sin, Lord. It's not our good works. It's not our efforts. It's not anything we can do, Lord. It's your blood. You're the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Lord, again, Lord, we are forever grateful that you pour out your, your blood until death, Lord, and that it's the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. And so, Lord... We thank you. Let's let's taste and see that the Lord indeed is truly good. Let's pray to get God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we stand up? We stand up. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. Well, as Moses told Aaron, I want you to bless my people, place my name on them by saying these words. And the Lord bless you and keep you. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance on you. That means like big smile, like he's smiling at you. Like a proud, loving daddy, right? He's, he's smiling at you because he loves you, right? He's not like, right? Lift up his countenance on you and give you peace in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen, amen. Next week, last sermon of James, and then we're going on to a different book, which I won't tell you until Sunday morning. <laughs> but it'll be in the Bible, right? <laughs> All right, take care, guys. <laughs>